cracking interview lined up for you today. Uh, my guest today is one of the pillars of the British uh, gaming journalism community. Uh, he's been around for a long, long time. Started his career out at university where he was the editor for the gaming uh, section of the newspaper over there, working his way up through the ranks and is now the uh, managing editor for guides at Eurogamer. Not only that, he is a massive, massive Shenmue fan who also published the recently put together guides around the more obscure cutscenes and details that are in the first Shenmue game. My guest today is Managing Editor Matthew Reynolds. So Matt, welcome to the dojo. How's it going? Uh, very well, thank you. I'm yeah, very flat to be here. So uh, yeah, looking forward to this chat. Very pleased to have you on. Um, we'll dive straight into the first question. I do this with a lot of people as my first one. You're a gamer. How did you get into gaming? What's your history? Uh, do we start from the very beginning? Yeah, all the way back. Okay. Uh, so my first system was the Amiga 500, um, which I absolutely loved. And do I need to explain what an Amiga is in case? I oh, know it's like a very UK-centric thing. I could quickly... It's basically a, it's a Commodore like PC, yeah, 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 essentially with a keyboard. But you also could like plug in. Uh, it had a mouse and it had like a joystick and a joypad, and basically you could play um, games and stuff like that. Um, and it was like a sixteen bit system, so broadly the same as a Mega Drive and uh, or a Genesis if you're from the yeah. states and a NES. And uh, we just had tons of games, um, uh, yeah, and I absolutely had a great time. Some of these games that we just uh, bought boxed, like you could buy them like quite cheap for like five pounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, from the shops um we had like demo discs like a lot of like magazines had like floppy discs on the cover so access to loads of demos and um access to kind of a lot of shareware weird stuff um yeah. and also not to advocate piracy at all but like <laughs> you know you could go to car boots and there'll be like someone at a stall selling amiga games and you could buy like free for a fiver and flick through these little catalogs uh, but it just meant I had loads of games to play from a very young age. And it was just very fortunate that my first system meant I could play loads of different things, see what I liked, loads of different genres, like point and click games. Um, I was obsessed with Lemmings. Uh, there was a few racing games that I really liked, like Lotus Turbo Challenge. I played like an Outrun spin-off that I don't think Yu Suzuki was involved <laughs> with. I think it was called like Outrun Europa. And I think like US Gold made it. Um, ah, okay. Just quite interesting. Obviously, it was set in Europe rather than the States. Um, and obviously, loads of platformers as well. And that was obviously the big genre at the time. And I was just absolutely obsessed with platform games. So it's, yeah, stuff like Zool and Super Frog, um, Fire and Ice, I really loved. Um, and yeah, it just it just was a, 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 a system with just loads of, loads of brilliant games that I really, really liked. Um, and then I think through that, and because I really like platformers, I heard of Sonic. And so Sonic obviously was on the Sega. Um, and uh, I managed to kind of wrangle a Master System and a Mega Drive, and I played all the Sonic games. And I think I just loved Sega around that time. I was just obviously obsessed with Sonic. I had like 
Sonic toothpaste and I had like Sonic pajamas. <laughs> and the only reason I got into like liking tomato ketchup was because um, I don't know if they're around anymore, but Daddy's ketchup. Oh yeah, I remember them. Yeah, they brought like a Sonic themed. I don't. I, I don't think it was anything different to usual ketchup. It was just like it had a Sonic logo or whatever, or like a little sticker on it. Uh, I remember not liking ketchup until I tried some of that, and in which case it's like, hmm, this is you know, <laughs> ketchup is really good. Or thanks to Sonic, I was yeah, absolutely obsessed. Um, but yeah, like you know, I was a big fan of those games, but also like anything Sega put out, I seemed to love. So uh, Streets of Rage, Echo the Dolphin, oh uh, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. So I just had a fondness for Sega even back then. But I was also like pretty lucky in the sense that like I had access to everything over time. I had a brother and sister. So the Amiga was actually my sister's, uh, mm-hmm. but my brother had like a NES. Uh, I eventually got a SNES and I just had access to everything. And that was just, um, you know, I was very lucky in that regards. Um, and then obviously as I got older, I jumped over to PlayStation. I'm afraid to say I abandoned the Sega uh, Saturn. Oh, dear, 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 dear. I know, I know. I eventually did own a Saturn, um, and I don't have any regrets in life. But I actually did own one eventually, and I bought it from like this was obviously years later. I think like mm-hmm. kind of more or less once the generation was under under full swing, um, and I had like a Saturn and like thirty games and like all like the accessories. And for whatever reason, I traded it in for an N sixty four and a wrestling game. And oh, I don't even like wrestling. Yeah. I don't have, I have no idea what I was thinking. I think it was because it's like N64s are a bit more expensive. Obviously, yeah, everyone was talking about Mario. Everyone was talking about Ocarina of Time, GoldenEye. And these were games, obviously, that were fantastic and I love. And I look back probably more fondly than most Saturn games. But I still really wish I had access to a Saturn right now. I just can't believe that I, I did that. Um, but uh, PlayStation for me was the big one. Um, and I think PlayStation was the introduction to probably more mature games in the sense yeah. that like they were like more complex, like those storytelling, bigger adventures, like Final Fantasy seven, for example, was just this mind blowing experience. Like I could not believe that this, it could exist really. If I'm completely honest, it was looked stunning, had like really complex systems, had interesting characters. Um, I just couldn't believe like a game would come on multiple discs. It was just like everything about it was like, I just didn't know games could be this. After like a diet of growing up on platformers and stuff. Yeah. There's a step beyond, right? And so I think that introduced me to like story-driven games and adventure games. And like, I loved Resident Evil. Metal Gear Solid as well was just a cut beyond everything else. Um, So that's kind of, yeah, that's when I, yeah, just could really see where games were like, you know, just this really interesting, fascinating thing. And I think, I don't think you realize it until later. It's like, you are so fortunate to be growing up when, a medium is changing that quickly and having so many advances and you know uh, obviously we'll get to show you later but like that was kind of part of that bracket of like games are doing these incredible things that you had no idea they could do um and then yeah i just i then as i say like i owned a bit of everything i think as i got older um i just tend to to um even like if I couldn't get them for like Christmas or birthday, I would eventually have enough money to buy them. Yeah. I loved the GameCube. That was my system of that generation. But my brother had a PS2, so I could play Metal Gear Solid 2, Final Fantasy 10, um, that sort of thing. Uh, and just went from there, really. And yeah, I just eventually ended up owning every system. And as I say, I wasn't like particularly, you know, had an allegiance to anything. Um, so like I was a Sega kid growing up, then I went to PlayStation, then GameCube, and then probably the Xbox 360 after that. Um, and along the way, I got into things like FAQ writing and yeah. had like, uh, and eventually wanted to kind of 
write about games for a living and thankfully that managed to work out um long term really um so yeah so quite yeah quite a varied history really massively varied i mean you touched on a point i think i'm quite a strong believer in actually is we were lucky to grow up when games were evolving innovation was a big thing like mm. they were breaking ground almost every week mm. in gaming it was crazy when you think of Mario 64, the 3D platformer and the precedent that set, the gold, you know, what Gold and I did for first person shooters. Mm. And I know know I'm leaving out things like Quake and and Doom and everything else, which have their own place in history. But I remember thinking Gold and I are being blown away by that as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. How's this? You know, this is, it was absolutely insane. Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. I don't, they need to remake that. Yeah. Yeah. That game is unbelievable. I actually, um, I replayed it fairly recently. Uh, I did a few YouTube videos on it and some guide stuff. And that game still totally holds up. It's just, uh, the story is really captivating. It's just the stealth element is quite rudimentary now, but also I quite like the very simple, like here is just guards with cones of vision that you kind of have to Mm. avoid on a radar. Like MGS5 actually didn't get on with that well because it was probably too realistic, if that makes sense. Um, yeah in the sense that like guards could see you quite far away and i like that it was a little bit it was like the right balance of being kind of realistic in the sense that you had to hide and you know you could use items in different ways and quite sandboxy but also wasn't like completely you know unforgiving which i think mgs5 occasionally was but yeah i loved metal gear solid five uh, metal gear solid one and uh yeah two two was probably actually my favorite in the series which many people would say three is but two i think was just yeah um did loads of really interesting things story-wise. So that is another series I absolutely love as well. Yeah, great games. Absolutely. I spent hours playing those as a kid. They yep. still hold up today. Love the storytelling in those those three games. They're awesome. And actually Metal Gear Solid 4 as well, which yeah. gets crapped on a little bit, I think. Um, but I quite I th- liked it. I think so, yeah. I'd love a remake of 4. I'd love to see that come back. And I only played it the once. I think Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, or 3, I've replayed like countless times. But four, I just played it the once. I do have it on PS3 somewhere, but because it's not back, backwards compatible or anything, um, it's just hard to go back to. Um, mm. I don't want to spoil it, but it has like some of the best moments in the series. I think some of the the things they do um, is really interesting. Um, it is also like quite unforgiving. There are some like really difficult yeah. sections, but uh, it's a way to kind of like cap off the series because five is obviously a prequel. Uh, I think it does a considerably good job, despite yeah. the fact that how. You know how out there Metal Gear Solid gets as a as a series. I think when it comes to its uh, its story, yeah, definitely. And speaking of stories, obviously within that and story games, Shenmue. Mm. How did you come across it? Where did you hear about it for the first time? I probably heard about it in a magazine. So I was really into magazines. I said like uh, I read like Amiga Power, or at least I got Amiga Power. And uh, yeah, I remember like I just read loads of magazines from very little. Um, and yeah, I, I probably eventually after Amiga Power, I um, subscribed to CVG, which yeah. was Computer Video Games Magazine, uh, no longer with us, RIP. Um, and yeah, that game, so that magazine was just uh, so influential, I think, in terms of my tastes and the games that I wanted to play and had interest in. They were big into like um, the PlayStation, uh, they were big into Sega. Um, big into like imports and arcades and things like that and things like that sega that's well known for right and i remember they were really really into the dreamcast in particular doing like full page spreads and what the dreamcast was the launch lineup um 
and you could tell it's just like yeah they were so it just made you really excited to 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 get into games i think um and yeah they must have covered shenmue at some point and i don't remember specifics apart from that it just looked incredible like all the things they were talking about of this is going to be a realistic game and it's going to simulate kind of a day life cycle uh day night cycle sorry that you're gonna like people are gonna have their own like routines i remember the one thing i do remember actually from like a piece was there was a screenshot of a must have been like a, a bar or a shop or something like that. And the caption yeah. was something along the lines of you could interact and pick up any object in this room. And that was probably obviously ended up not being true, but it wasn't that far beyond what the actual end ended up being. Um, I just remember seeing that and being like, that is, is unbelievable. Like I would, I, I can't wait to get lost in this game and just try and pick up and interact with things. Um, so like from an early from early like early on from hearing about Shenmue it just sounded like this this incredible thing um and uh eventually a friend of mine Rob um shout out to Rob I used to basically spend loads of time with him and play video games and loads of story driven games that's how I first played Metal Gear Solid he managed to import it and he got a Dreamcast and uh he got Shenmue as well and just I just sat with him and played it and it was just yeah it was just this really incredible game I um I think it was a game that I, it sounds really superficial. It just looked incredible, right? It was just this really incredible looking game. But I think that works in the sense that, or it makes um, it makes sense as to why I liked it. It's because it's all about atmosphere and it was all about this yeah. kind of setting a tone. And I think um, the art style is just, was just even then on like a CRT um, kind of TV was just that's like, you know, unlike anything I'd seen before. Even things like the shadows. I remember vividly the shadows. Like you could walk past the streetlight and Rio's shadow would be kind of like realistically kind of panned across the floor or circled around him. No other game was doing that, um, you know. And I love the the fact that it was a story-driven game that was kind of very puzzle-orientated in the sense that it was kind of a detective story, so it wasn't really exactly yeah. clear where you're going. But also if you were fed up with the story, you could go off and go off on, on your own beaten path and talk to people and go to the arcades and uh just explore and you know i think it really struck a balance we talked about metal gear side i think i really like games that allow you that are story driven that have like a through line but do allow you to kind of do things on the side and i think yeah. shenmue i think is like for me the perfect game for that and that it's like here is this really interesting story there's really cool like clues and things it would give you but if you didn't want to do that stuff you could go off and do other things um so I do actually remember really fondly about Shenmue as well when I first played it. And it's something that it's not really well known for was that it had online capabilities. Yes, it did through the passport. Yeah. And um, and you could argue it probably actually wasn't needed. Like the things that were, so you would, I think if I remember correctly, um, you could go to the vending machines and get like the lucky cans with Shenmue on it. And that would, you could trade it for items and um, yeah. capsule toys and stuff like that probably could have done that in game you didn't need to access the internet for that but the thing it did have that i was absolutely obsessed with was leaderboards so yes. all the mini games um that you could play you could actually post the scores online and compare them to around with players elsewhere and probably for pc players at the time it wasn't necessarily a big thing but on a console um yeah i remember like me and rob just spending feels like an entire summer playing the darts mini game like <laughs> kind of learning the nuances and when to exactly throw it just right and I think we got a fairly high score between us in the end. And it just, yeah, this sense of accomplishment. And it's it's sad that 
that isn't actually in the re-releases. And I can completely understand why, but probably what the reason I don't play those mini games anymore is because, um, uh, yeah, it's just, I think I play them so much and uh, I don't have that leaderboard element to it. Um, so yeah, there's just so much about it. I, I really loved about Shenmue. And I think it's a game that I've come back to again and again over the years. And I think for me, a, good, a sign of a game that I really love is a game that I don't really get tired of. So again, yeah. Metal Gear Solid, one of those games. Final Fantasy VII um, and Shenmue is definitely one of them. You know, even though it is, the areas are quite small and contained and, you know, it isn't a short game. It's a 20 hour game or so, right? Even if you know what you're doing, there's a lot of things there that you kind of, that kind of pace you out accordingly. Mm-hmm. But it's a game that I, I could probably, you know, it's probably a desert island game. I could take that to a desert island and yeah. I'll find something yeah. to captivate me no matter what. Um, and then, yeah, so... Uh, and Shenmue 2 as well, uh, if you want me to talk about that. Yeah, please do. Absolutely. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, I think I think Shenmue 2 is a better game, but it isn't my, I think Shenmue 1 is my favorite. But it is it is important in the sense that, for me anyway, it's like it was the first game I bought myself with my own money, like full yeah. price. Um, I, put, I put down a pre-order. Um, I went to, to game, I put down a pre-order. I was that excited for it. Um, I don't know if you... I'm trying to think actually if this was right, but do you remember? I don't know if you bought it at the time. Do you remember them breaking the street date for Shenmue 2? I do vaguely remember copies coming out early, mm. like within a few days early. Mine turned up early. Yeah. I remember, I don't know how far early, but there was definitely a few outlets that did break street date by a few days. I don't know if it was any more than that. I'd have to look, I'd have to do some research and find out. Yeah, it's sure one of those turned up early. Yeah, it's just one of those things that it's the only because obviously I've been um I've been in the industry now for like God, like oh, 10, 15 years. Uh games very rarely get released early. At least like, you know, um but I remember playing Shenmue 2 like a week or so early before the I don't know how much of it was like the Dreamcast by then was dead. Mm-hmm. And Sega, did, like the retailers, just didn't really care at that point. But I think a friend from school let me know. They said he said like, "Look, I've been playing Shenmue Two, and I didn't believe him." And I tried. <laughs> I went home, and via via going home, I I kind of went to to game, and they were just like, "Yeah, you can buy it now." And I think I've I've never been so excited to go home and play a video game, if I'm honest. And it completely lived up to expectations. I think as a sequel, it is pretty much perfect in terms of like ambition and scale. Like I talked about, like Shenmue One having like lots of not small areas, but they're, they're, there's there's a lot, lot fewer of them, right? Shenmue Two yeah. has loads by comparison. The amount of people on screen again, it sounds superficial, like talking about graphics or whatever, but it adds to atmosphere, right? And the fact that yeah. you are you're yeah. going from a very sleepy suburb to a very kind of bustling city, like it absolutely nails that within like the same engine and the same kind of um limitations of what um Shemu is um and i think obviously you've got like the yellowhead building and all the action scenes it just ups the ante in so many ways um and yeah it's just a superb game and i also remember and this is actually something else I've, I've been meaning to look it up over the years and i don't know why yeah. it happened but the disc disc four of Shemu 2 was that meant to be just a data disc is that always like printed on the disc because i remember doing the yellowhead building thing and being like at like 11 p.m. or something, being like, I'm just going to finish this game tonight. And then the surprise of going to the village and to the Shenhua and basically like the kind of the last chapter of the game where it's away from Hong Kong, that being so unexpected. And I, I think it's probably because I thought Disc 4 was something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I basically ended up playing up to like four in the morning. I just had to see it through there and then. Um, yeah, so many cool things that game did. Um, 
as a as a sequel. Um, yeah, yeah. Am I making that up? Does that make sense? The whole disc no, four that makes, thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know they made a call late on disc four mm. and putting Greelin in in that, but I think they wanted to go out on a massive, massive high. I think for the Dreamcast. I mean, the fact it ended up being a fifteen year cliffhanger. Yes, is is another question, but they made a call on it late. I don't know about the data disc thing. I'd have to ask some I'm, of the um, longer serving community members about it. But yeah. I know they made that call late to put Guilin in. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's. I think yeah, it was a fantastic addition because it just it, it. Yeah, it was just in terms of like a tonal shift. I think it was like, and a teaser as well. It was just a really um, well played thing. Um, but yeah, it was yeah, and Chamber Two as well. I think was also it was like it was very influential for me in the sense that like it was my first big faq project so um i do a lot of guides and um that's something i've just kind of specialized in it feels like more recently in terms of my career but i did a lot of faq writing at the very start and that was the first big project i did as an faq it wasn't the very first it was uh super mario sunshine that i did but shame 2 was the first like i'm going to do a whole game uh, partly because it was only out in Europe on the Dreamcast, so it felt like I kind of mm-hmm. had a bit of a leg up in terms of, you know, FAQ yeah. writing yeah. at least then was quite competitive uh, in a good way. Like the community was um, really good. And uh, yeah, just the, just getting into a game like that. As I say, like it ticked all my boxes in terms of a game that was kind of puzzly and an adventure. I had loads of secrets and things to find. And it was just, uh, you know, I remember the there's like a, there's a puzzle involving like I think is it teacups that you have to move fairly yeah, early on in the game. Chow and, like, and sign, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and there's like multiple ways that can go, but I think most players would just go to the nearest table. Mm-hmm. But there's different outcomes and you can go I basically like remember just going around all the different areas and trying this sign. And just that process of like investigating a game and seeing what could be possible be off like off the beaten track. And just telling people what that could be. And if they wanted to take those paths, then I can explain how that works. And if they don't, then they just know about it and then they can pick the path they want. I think I, think I found that process very interesting and Shenmue 2 allowed me to explore that and try that out. And uh, yeah, I think I, I think I fell in love with guide writing through that game. Um, so yeah, so I think it was very important in that sense. Yeah, and actually you talk about the secrets in Shenmue 2, the duck racing. Like if you don't if you don't know that exists, I never did when I first played. It was only through an FAQ and, yeah. and finding things. Go, hang on, what's this? And you follow it through. Fang Mei's birthday the, is another one, mm. but it's very specific, isn't it? That you have to do a certain set of events and you get all this other stuff. But then with Fang Mei's birthday, you get a different cutscene when you leave. Mm. And yeah. it's I know it was so well interlinked and so cleverly done. They probably haven't discovered... Every, well, I'm pretty sure we haven't discovered everything about Shenmue 2 yet. I mean, Shenmue 1, they were still finding stuff now. Yeah, I, I have no doubt there is things that are undiscovered. Um, I think that's that's why it's so special. I think every time I replay Shenmue, again, I talked about it as a game, as like, I could replay it endlessly. And part of that is because I feel like every time I play it, I discover something new. Even if it's like minor, like I just talk to someone different and they yeah. come back with a different response. But, you know... It's it's a game with so many layers to it and so many secrets, um, you know, through to like things like, you know, cutscenes and stuff. And when I did this, I did like a recent Shenmue project uh, on my own YouTube channel. And um, there were things that actually I didn't know until I was like researching. Like I didn't know when you're sneaking through the old warehouse districts that the homeless man can actually, if you get it wrong enough times, that he will give yeah. you a map and he will talk to you. 
I didn't know that until fairly recently. And that's because like when I played it the first time, I worked out the route with my friend. And yeah. every time we played it, I knew exactly where to go. So I wasn't going to get stuck. And I wasn't going to like figure that out. Stuff like that. It's just like there are all these different uh, events that can happen if you play it a certain way. And I think it rewards you for being inquisitive and rewards you for like experimenting and trying things. Um, and yeah, very few games do that, I think. Um, and also, but also like you just play it linearly and see loads of cool stuff. And that's also great too. You know, there's yeah, so much to it. And that's, I think, why I love the series so much. Brilliant. And obviously the Shenmue 2 cliffhanger. We get it. You sat there thinking, right, you know, you, the big setup with the, the He-Man sword, yeah. which is now a dagger because they <laughs> accidentally scaled that wrong in Shenmue 2. <laughs> yeah, they uh, exported the wrong thing in you, uh, the epic um, <laughs> editor or whatever. <laughs> and then we had this wait, this 15-year wait, and did you stick you know, did you stick around Shenmue? Obviously you wrote the FAQ for Shenmue 2. Did you stick around the franchise or did you think sort of, Shenmue 3 it's never going to happen and you made your peace with it uh I think I always had hope but I think also I with Sega like I knew enough about the history of Shenmue and the fact that it was like this huge project and I don't know how true it is that like it effectively effectively helped bankrupt Sega I'd like to I'd like to think there were obviously other things and obviously the the hardware Mm. side of thing not uh, you know going downhill didn't help but I knew with all that that it wasn't going to be likely that we'd see a sequel. And certainly not anytime soon. Um, you know, even with, I think I had like maybe some hope that the fact that Shenmue 2 was available on the Xbox in the US and they had like a deal there. I thought yeah. maybe they're going to be a sequel. Um, I think I just, I did, yeah, I didn't think realistically that we'd see something. Even when like games were starting to be kickstarted, I didn't really even think then that knowing that how much Shenmue 1 and 2 cost to make, that that would be an option. I think I pin my hopes more on a remake or not necessarily a remake, just remasters of the original games. Yeah. So I think that is like, that's affordable for a publisher to do. Um, these games, you know, I think are brilliant as they are. And I think they still do hold up really well. So you don't need to do a lot. You just need to like up-res them. And I think actually the remasters that we have are really, really good. Um, so yeah, I didn't actually have expectations. I thought what they might do is like do a comic or something like that. Yeah. I didn't think they'd do an anime, that's for sure. Like that's been a huge, like <laughs> pleasant surprise in the, the last year or so. Um, but yeah, I thought they'd do a comic or they'd do something. I thought there'd, there'd be some sort of like transmedia, kind of like cross media kind of, you know, we're gonna we're gonna finish the Shenmue story in a different way apart outside of the games. So the fact that we eventually got a Shenmue free is still I still actually can't quite believe it, if I'm honest. It's mind blowing. It, I mean, it should never have happened. Let, let's be honest. It's yeah, the game yeah, yeah. they said never would happen. So coming into sort of 2015, hmm. it's been a long, long time. And you're working in the industry at this point. Did did rumors start to surface within your circles early that actually Shenmue Three might make an appearance at E3 2015? Obviously, taking away Yu Suzuki blowing the cover with the forklift tweet with the tweet yeah i was gonna say that was the first that was the that was the first time i thought this is actually gonna happen and that's a shame because i think i think there would have been such more of a surprise um no i didn't actually hear much else i was actually i was actually in the audience for that announcement um yeah i was actually e3 that year and i was in the the sony um conference um and the reaction was wild um it was just yeah it was, it was such a blur because obviously you had that you had last guardian 
yeah had the final fantasy 7 remake and it was just the whole thing was just yeah it was one for the ages really that e3 um and they pulled off something yeah, really special um but no I, I i don't remember hearing much at all as i say like even when kickstarter started to be a thing with like broken age i didn't realistically think tremu would uh, be a thing so it wasn't really until that tweet that i knew that once that tweet went out i was like okay this is actually this is the happen. He wouldn't. He wouldn't do this. He wouldn't do this to us. You know. He yeah. Actually, yeah, tease that heavily. Um. So yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. I think. Um. You know, until that. It. it yeah. Until that tweet happened, it's like okay. Yeah. This is. This is gonna happen. And it's yeah. Very exciting. And just a little bit on the crowd there. Obviously, you were sat there as it happened. I mean, I've seen the video footage. I mean, it speaks for itself. But what was the the, the atmosphere like? Obviously, you've had. Last Guardian, you had Final Fantasy Seven. You're thinking they can't top this, hmm. and then they do. I mean, talk me through that atmosphere there. It's E three conferences are actually quite weird. Like I think actually you probably can tell watching from home, but like the crowds are just amped up anyway. They are, yeah. you know, and I think it is, you know, lots of there are developers there, like from the studios working on the game, and they're going to scream and shout and stuff like that. Uh, which makes sense and you know they've earned you know they it's it's great i've been in also like behind developers i remember being behind uh, i was at the ps4 announcement in new york when they announced that system and being like two rows behind um some of the kills kill zone dev- developers because they did a launch game yeah and they and they went you know they were just went wild because that uh, they announced i think it was eight gigabyte of ram as opposed to four which was rumored if i'm getting that right and it's like that's such a developer thing to get excited for, but they were just, <laughs> they were just, yeah, they were just very, very happy. Um, so I think like e three press conferences, the crowd is generally, um, you know, very loud, um, especially at the, the 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 first party publishers. But yeah, that e three was particularly special. I think the whole crowd was just, yeah, I think it was just every announcement. It was just almost. I think by Shenmue three, I think actually it was a bit more not muted, but it's consistent because I think everyone was just. You couldn't really top it. Like Final Fantasy VII in particular was just blowing the roof off. Uh, and Shenmue Three, I think that I can't remember the exact teaser, but I think you had Final Fantasy VII remake had a bit more of a lead in, like it's a bit more like, what is this? Is it Final Fantasy VII? You know, and you were waiting along. Yeah. Whereas Shenmue Three, I think it went more or less straight into it. So there was a very quick, like, sudden burst of activity and excitement. But yeah, it was just like the crowd was so amped up. And personally, I was just, you know, I think you're like, I was just very happy almost a bit confused to be like all these projects are happening you know this doesn't usually happen um you know add that to like jet lag and stuff like that and it was just you know a very strange evening but yeah very very exciting and i don't think i don't think there'll ever be kind of a conference like that again you know i think especially as um i think publishers do tend to announce stuff quite early now um but i i think they're also better at kind of giving us more to, to lean on the fact that Shenmue 3 had like gameplay from yeah. memory or at least I don't know if it was like final gameplay but it had like footage yeah, I think that did. was actually you know that was actually quite rare and uh yeah so the fact that you could see the art style and get a sense of what that game is and obviously the, the characters and the setting yeah really really exciting and just just made you more you know interested into into what it is and I guess it makes sense that it was a kickstarter like they had to show that stuff they had to show it was a real project even if it was early which I think uh, they probably had to do, but it just made it more exciting for fans, I think. Yeah, and it made it feel real, 
that's the thing. Mm. I mean, we'd heard all these rumors. Kitsuko was the big one. I can't remember exactly when, um, sort of mid 2000s, where it was considered ready for next gen. And Adam Dory, the author, got slated as a liar and all this, that, and the other. My, my personal point on that is actually, I think things changed. I think there was something to that and plans change plans change in gaming they change all the time yeah and and someone could have pulled the plug and i don't know Shenmue fans were not the butt of jokes but it was the whole every e3 every e3 Shenmue 3 Shenmue 3 and i think 2015 before that forklift tweet i think a lot of us had made our piece mm, we were campaigning yeah. and it was it was going well and all the rest of it but i think a lot of us had gone Okay, well, if it, yeah, we've made our piece. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And then I don't, the timing couldn't have been better in that regard. It galvanized the community. Yeah, yeah, for sure, massively. Yeah, and it like it put. It's weird to it's it's Shemi is a weird series in the sense that it is simultaneously quite a, like a niche thing, but also yeah. was for the longest time the most expensive game in the world, and it's also like a well known series. Um. And so, yeah, it's like, in some ways, it's like, you know, of course, like the most expensive game ever made is going to get a sequel eventually. And, but also it's like, well, the, that, for that reason, it probably, it probably shouldn't, you know, that it seems like a foolhardy thing. Um, yeah, it just, yeah, I think you're right. It's just like, it's the right place at the right time. And I think it was the also the fact that it also debuted alongside those other kind of mm. mythical games that would never release, like The Last Garden and Final Fantasy VII Remake, I think actually made it, you know, feel more real because it's like Sony wouldn't do, Sony wouldn't just put like a teaser of a game that we kind of been waiting for um, no. on its on its own. I think they think they they bunched up with the others and it made it feel all the more special, right? I think they all helped each other, um, yeah, and become this almost like mythical status and this mythical evening. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was yeah, it was yeah, a really, a really great E three. It was, and then Kickstarter back in the project eventually when it came back online of course yeah i don't remember the lead time because I, I i was at the show obviously did it happen did it launch straight away or did it launch did it pretty take, much take straight days? away within yeah. a few minutes of that that announcement oh really okay oh, okay okay yeah i yeah i i probably didn't like check into it until i was i was at home because we have like a we had would have a team of like people writing up stories back home so i could yeah do like pictures and tweets and stuff um so i think i yeah had to work unfortunately um but yeah, so it, yeah, so it launched, it, it crashed, and I think yeah, I must. I think I probably donate. I, I definitely um, put some money towards it. I think I did like the hundred pound tier, yeah, where you'd yeah. get a physical copy and maybe like the phone book or the phone card things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I think that's you. probably the one I went for. But yeah, I think when I got home, that was like when I could, I could relax after the trip and probably look into the Kickstarter, and and yeah, soak it all in really. Yeah, and. It was, I'd say it shouldn't have happened. It's a game that they said would never happen. It's crazy to think that we now have it in our hands. And so moving into the, the production phase and the Kickstarter, mm. it wasn't without its difficulties, it's probably fair to say. Um, yeah. From someone who's in the, sort of the gaming journalism industry, how was it viewed as a Kickstarter, do you think? And f certainly my view is that communication could have been better. But from your point of view, what do you think they could have done better with that Kickstarter? I don't know. I don't know what more they could have done. It's it's interesting because I it, it, I think it was the I don't know if it still is like the most profitable Kickstarter if that's if that's correct or for for a game at least it, it certainly yeah, broke records. It is, yeah. So I think in a way from a media perspective like that's 
you know, that's your headline in a, in a sense. It's like that is job done, I guess. Um, and I don't think much beyond that. I think, uh, I think it was more later that things were like as they showed like trailers and screenshots yeah. i think people or some people at least kind of took issue with the art style and how some of the characters looked um which i can kind of understand but it's also like it's stylized and it's just very different to the original shenmue games um there was obviously the epic deal mm-hmm. as well the epic store which i can understand because i believe the kickstarter specifically said steam codes was an option for if you back it and obviously they had to be changed to epic ones uh, I believe that's right anyway. So I can sort of, uh, I don't I don't absolutely, I completely understand why they did it. They probably needed the funds to bring it over the line. And as we know, that's just a common thing. And I think personally, I don't care what system something's on, especially on a PC, you know, as long as I can play it, that's absolutely fine. So I can understand why they went with Epic, but that was probably a bit of a mess. Um, I think that was probably the biggest drama leading up to launch. Um, so yeah, so from the industry, was, I think, you know, I think the fact that we just didn't hear about it for a while and the early looks of it just didn't look quite great. I mean, it's an in-progress project, you know, I think the fact that it probably cost a lot of money or at least raised a lot of money didn't help with that. Um, personally, I, I was just really worried about Shenmue 3 in the sense that, is it going to be a Shenmue game? Yeah. This is like, you know, we were decades, 15 years or whatever away from the last game. Yuzuzuki hadn't made many games or any games in that period the industry had changed a lot the games had changed a lot what what was this game going to be so that's my main worry is like i want a shenmue sequel like a proper sequel mm-hmm. so like personally i was just holding out hope that it would deliver in that respect um and i imagine other people were in the same boat i mean is that is that how you felt at the time as well like kind of thinking what what how would this game come out what will it be yeah i think coming out of the excitement and, and obviously some of the controversy as well with the Epic deal, Steam Codes company being promised in the survey in 2018 and then obviously that was withdrawn and caused a ruckus. That was, you know, negative attention it didn't need, like you say as well, some of the early looks. I think they, I think they had to show it because it's a Kickstarter project and I think there's certain obligations around a Kickstarter project that you have to see things moving forward. I think if Shenmue 4 went down that route i think they'd be mad to do it i think they'd be better off going and saying right six nine months from release here we are massive trailer it's you know polished nearly ready to go sort of thing and avoid all of that stuff from last time that's a lesson at the end of the day i i agree i I think a lot of crowdfunded projects i think a lot of studios realize that actually there is a lot of expectations from fans rightly or wrongly of how they want a game to be and they think they have a lot of say because they've you know, again, you know, maybe, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. It's it's really by a case-by-case basis, but they obviously feel they could be more vocal about something. Yeah. So if Shenmue 3 didn't look like the game they wanted it to be, then I can understand why people were upset. So I think a lot of... You, I, you certainly see fewer Kickstarter games now or, or crowdfunded games now. I wonder partly because of that. And I think hopefully Shenmue 4 is, as you say, like a project that is a game that is just like published and uh, through com- more conventional means, you know, and is released shortly-ish after an announcement. I'd like to hope that would be the, the case, yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be the best way to go about it. I mean, so going back to Shenmue 3, um, mm. my biggest thing was, once all the dust has settled, my big thing was, does this feel like Shenmue? Mm. Yeah. And yeah, by the point of release, you're nearly 20 years on at that point, so it's it's a big ask. Now, I know it got criticised in some areas because it is, you know, by modern standards, some of the systems etc are dated we know that everybody knows that but 
picking that game up after if you go from Shenmue 2 straight into Shenmue 3 it flows it fits I don't know the feel of it was right yes and that is the biggest compliment I can give it I know it has its issues I know mm. it has its issues with story and and some issues around the animations and some of the combat etc but the biggest compliment I can give it is that it felt like Shenmue yeah, twenty years on, and that ticked that massive tick in the box for me. So, when you got your hands on it, what was your feeling when you finally got it in your hands? You're thinking, twenty years on, here we go. I think it was exactly that. It was relief. It was like my concern was like, is this going to be a Shenmue game? And I think I read a Edge cover story on it, and that was the first sense of like, okay, it's going to be a game that is going to be like Shenmue, just all the details that we're talking about, all the screenshots. But it wasn't until the demo. Um, and playing the demo, it was just like, yes, this is this is what I want. You're right about the feel of it. It's the way Ryu runs. It's a very like it's very like it's almost like quite like it's just it's very like he's very kind of straight forward. Yeah. Like it is the way it's almost kind of like a bit slightly like tank controls. Uh, and mm. I love that. I think that the way Shemu feels um is superb. Like but it, I was expecting almost that that's not to be the case for it to be like more of a free camera or to be more of kind of like a more conventional kind of open world feel. And it wasn't that. It felt like a Shenmue game. So I was yeah. really relieved. But it was down to things like, for me, it's like the essence of Shenmue is kind of talking to people and knowing that you could talk to anyone. And even if they have like the similar camera response of like, oh, I'm too busy right now or whatever. Yeah. The fact that you can do that is really important. Um, so the fact that it had that, the fact that you, again, the thing that I, I that caught my attention was looking through drawers and picking up objects. Yeah, yeah. I think on the demo, you could go over the, the bridge and there was the shop on the hill just above. I know, I, yeah, yeah. I, I remember then going into there and opening all the drawers and looking through the jars and just being like, this is this is Shenmue. This is the game I was I, I wanted. So I was just relieved, I think. I was really relieved that it actually was a Shenmue game, that it felt that way. And I think you're right, it's it's not perfect by any stretch. Um, I think there are, the production values aren't as good, obviously. It's, it's not. It's at a different league. And playing it recently, like going from... Shenmue 1 to Shenmue 3, it doesn't feel like a, as high a, a, a budget game, understandably, you know. But the feel of it is there. Um, and that's the main thing, really. Um, yeah, what were my other gripes with it? Um, the stamina system just doesn't work yeah. for me. It's really, really bad. Uh, I can understand why that was implemented for two reasons. Um, one, it, it just become more of a thing in games, like it was more in vogue as like a survival um, mm-hmm. system. Uh, and two, I could I could see that maybe of uh, maybe you may, you may, you might have more insight into this. I could see that how that being like a system that um, Yuzuki probably wanted to have in the games originally, because it he does did. tie into yeah, it does tie into like the fact that it is like a day night cycle and people have got their own routines. It's like a realism aspect. I can sort of see how that might have been a thing that he could have had years ago, but couldn't implement it or didn't want to implement it. But for me, it just doesn't work, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't. It, um, it's difficult because I think actually, if they tied it to to fighting stats or something like that, and, mm. and it was a bit more intricate in the way it was put together, I think it could have worked. Yeah, I think it was almost too simplistic that you just run, lose energy, and then you have to keep eating. And I think yeah. people felt it was quite invasive. I think that's exactly it. Yeah, it just it just was quite annoying. I remember just hoarding loads of fruit. And so yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah, Rio's tired again. Let's just eat like twenty berries, and then off we go again. It just, it just felt like it, it didn't really add anything, right? It just got in the way. Um, 
I'm not against that coming back, but I think unless they develop it seriously, I think they should just drop that for a potential Shenmue 4. I think the main other thing that really frustrated me with Shenmue 3, um, not, again, not to be complete, it sounds like I'm being quite negative, I'm just listing faults, because <laughs> I think it is actually like a really great game, you know, regardless of it being a Shenmue sequel, which obviously I'm obviously going to be biased against. I think it is a good game. Uh, it's just the pacing was off. I think there were times where it was just quite grindy, the fact that you had to spend like to buy an item and so you had to kind of engage with loads of systems and basically mm. get loads of money or there's a character at a dojo you had to beat and he was quite high powered so you had to put loads of time to training there was this like obvious bottlenecks to kind of extend the length of the game i think i wish they had more confidence in the sense that like they would have known the audience would have been happy with a shorter game that was probably you know a bit breezier and you know they didn't need to pad it out basically um and because i believe they cut a third area eventually Aisha, yeah, that went. Yeah, so I can understand why they probably thought actually, compared to the first two games, this isn't going to look as good. But I don't. I think I'd rather have a shorter. Yeah, you know, even without that stuff, it would have been a, a decent length game. Um, you know, a shorter but kind of like tighter experience. Um, but you know, as I said, like, but Shamu, there's so many, so many good things with Shamu Three. Um, you know, that I really, really liked. I think the. Oh, the name escapes me, but the, the second area essentially with the hotel and the temple. Oh, Niawu, yeah. Yeah, it just that is just beautiful. And I love this, like the different districts. I love that it opens up gradually. I think the thing Shemu does in general really good is pacing. And I think the way it kind of same with the village at the start is like it kind of gradually opens up more of an area and does it in a reasonably natural way. I think in Shemu 3, you could argue it's like very literal roadblocks. Mm. Um I think Shenmue 1 in particular, having replayed that, does that really well in like, oh, I don't need to go that way, or the bus terminal is covered, the bus stop is off limits, etc. So it's probably a bit more artificial in Shenmue 3, but I love that it gives you an excuse to kind of keep exploring a little bit for a little bit more. Yeah. And the fact that you kind of at the end, you're on this like long um, road with loads of temples and these beautiful like mountains in the distance, and then you can access this uh, area with loads of like the docks with the boats mm-hmm. yeah it's beautifully done it's a really really lovely game um and like the, all those restaurants and you've got like they've got a little paths behind them and it's like little fishing holes you know there's loads of really cool things um in Shenmue 3 that i really really like so yeah i think it's a really good game um i think as as yeah as we said like i think there are things that i wish they could have cut or kind of worked around but you know it's good and the fact that it actually came out and it came out as a Shenmue game and it felt good and it has all the things that at least I really liked about Shenmue I think it's a, it's an achievement really it is and on a fraction of the budget for what the originals have which hmm. I mean when you consider they've got to develop it they've got to voice cast it they've got to do that's a lot to do on a Kickstarter project. I know they had publisher come in and mm. obviously put money in as well, and they had some external funding, but yeah. still it was not anywhere near the equivalent of what Shenmue 1 and 2 had. It just wasn't. The team wasn't there. It wasn't the same. You know, it was essentially an indie team. Yeah. I don't mean that to sound disrespectful, but it was a new team, new to Unreal, mm. learning on the job as they went. I think for me, Shenmue 3 is the foundation for a Shenmue 4 to build on. Almost mm. like Shenmue 1 to two yes that makes yes, sense absolutely and i think yeah as you say like hopefully that Shenmue four it means that the team now knows the engine yeah. it has that development experience it can now put the attention into making like the game rather than trying to build it from the ground up like they know kind of what they're doing now that is my hope um 
Yeah, you forgot about a pu- I, I, sorry, I forgot about a publisher coming in. I think that was actually a really good move. I think it was it, how do you pronounce it? Is it Cock Media? I think you meant to pronounce yeah, and it. Yeah, Deep Silver. Yeah. Yeah, and Deep Silver. Like, I think you could, you know, I think some people were a bit concerned that there was another publisher coming in, but I remember actually being relieved because I think I was which developer was it? There was a Kickstarter project where they had someone come in. I think it was Pillars of Eternity, mm-hmm. and it was. Uh, Paradox were doing all the Kickstarter requirement stuff. So I think that's what Cock Media was kind of doing. They're helping like basically do all the packaging and helping out all the logistical side while they did help with the development. And I remember when that happened with Paradox and Pillars of Eternity um, being a bit concerned, like, oh, is it is this game okay that you've gotten someone else in? But I think I did some interviews with the publisher and obviously they're going to sell it as a good thing. But I think they explained it to be like, we want to help the developer focus on the essentials, which is making the game and focus on the things that they do well and let us as a publisher kind of help bring the game to fruition. So when they announced that for Show Me Free, I saw that as a really good sign of like, actually they're not, this is such a huge undertaking. So the fact that you brought a publisher in who is, it's a good publisher, you know, um, they, you know, they, they know what they're doing in that regard. That for me was like, okay, they're, they're at least kind of doing that and, you know, getting all the logistics off to someone else that can do that properly and they can focus essentially on making the game so yeah i forgot about that until you said that 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 happened um but i think that was a good sign and a good step really yeah definitely it would i mean i don't know what we'd have got had they not come in in terms of obviously they'd have brought a level of funding with them set with them as well into the game invest into the game and obviously it came out as a final product i do wonder what we'd have got had that not come in straight i mean yeah it's an interesting discussion whether it'd been a lot more linear, almost like a Telltale's game sort of thing with some little segments of a bit more free roam. I don't know. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I it, that was in my head. It was like, is this game going to be a bit more linear than what we expect? And same with the epic stuff. It's like I'm sure that actually helped financially quite a bit. Is you know, again, people were rightfully probably upset with that, but I think it was probably a necessity at the end of the day, and I think it was the right call. Whatever it took, really, to get it to the state that it was in. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I think hopefully shown before, as we discussed, is like, they know how to make this game. Now they've got the expertise, they've got the experience. They can actually then kind of make this, this, this game, the, the way, hopefully it's the sequel that we've been kind of waiting for from here. So fingers crossed. Now we are talking about Shenmue 4, so I'll segue into it. There's been rumors, lots of rumors floating around at the moment with Shenmue 4. I don't know how much you followed them um not not loads to be honest i think it's been a busy year for me for a bunch of reasons but i've kind of yeah it's it's to do with is it one one zero industries is that right yeah that's it yeah yeah Yeah. and lots of tweets and certainly my belief is they're probably working with yuzuzuki on something but when they're answering tweets for the hashtag let's get shown me four and they answer it saying eventually and then it gets deleted Oh really? Okay, right. I didn't know it was that level because I know they did the was it the the banana and the apple? I believe. Yeah, they did that. Which and they did an interview as well shortly after that. So they could either have been teasing for that, or I'd like to think if you're a publisher, you wouldn't do that without necessarily having some sort of association with Shemu. Like you know, um, they could be doing like big fans. They could just be like, we've got an interview with yeah, Suzuki. They might have just gone to I don't know TGS or whatever and had a chat with him and. They might just be like, it's it's a good excuse to do that. They've got this publisher access to, mm. you know, him. But I'd like to think they wouldn't do it without something down the line. But knowing how publishers work, and you said like them deleting tweets and stuff. And I think Yuzuki has absolutely, it was also come out since and said like, 
we're not working with them or we can't say anything. I think from my experience with games that aren't announced, it's like they just they just can't say anything. Even if something is blatantly happening, I'm not saying in this case it is because I don't know enough mm-hmm. details, mm-hmm. but they, they won't say anything because there's probably contracts and there's reasons. Even if they accidentally let slip or they do tweets that they then later delete, they can't actually say anything until it's actually out there and they have the, the schedule in, in, yeah. in, in hand. So... Yeah, it's interesting. It's very curious. Um, you know, I think, yeah, it's just, it's very, it's it's very unusual. But also, I think strange things have happened in this industry. I mean, as we talked about, looking at E three, you know, weird weirder things have happened with Shenmue. So anything's possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We just have to see. I mean, the, like I say, the tweet response to a hashtag "Let's get Shenmue for now." They could have just been having fun and and getting involved. I don't know, but they must have some idea what the Shenmue community are like. We're an investigative yeah. bunch. We're an inquisitive <laughs> bunch. Yeah. And very, people... very excitable, understandably, when they, yeah. you've got to mention yeah. Shenmue 4. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, I, I'm intrigued. I'm cautious. I mean, we've been here before a lot. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think I'd like to think they wouldn't do this without something up their sleeve, but you just you just don't know. Um so fingers crossed and you know if it if it if it doesn't happen then i hope that you know there is something further down the line the fact that they've made um oh what's the name is it air twister the game that's just yeah why, as of yeah, recording it, it, it came out like a week or so ago the fact that they're making games of that quality like now like after like because you could look at shenmue 3 and be like obviously there was you know it wasn't the the game that everyone wanted um, granted, but it's like the fact that they're still making games and there are of, there are good games suggests to me that that team is together. They're still making good stuff. That gives me hope that maybe you know they could make a Shenmue Four. And and I mean to add to that, since Shenmue Four, they've expanded. Okay, right. So, so yeah, that's so they're a... def- they're, they're definitely whether it's Shenmue related or not. Who knows? But they, I mean they've expanded, got an extra floor of people. So they're they're right. working on projects at least, whether it's Shenmue or not. And that's good because at the end of the day, we want Yuzuki working in the industry. He's a pioneer. You don't yeah. want him mothballed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's he's still got like a, a very strong vision. And I think yeah, I think as I said, like the my my worry with Shenmue Three was like it was a game that was going to be quite out of time. But I think actually the opposite happened in the sense that he made a game that was true to the original vision. So you wanted to stick yeah. around and make games like Air Twister, which is essentially Space Harrier. You wanted to make games of, the, of that lineage, right? So let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep him around. Um, yeah. It's it actually like thinking about it. Like I, I do wonder if, um, you know, I think there's a lot of projects at the minute because we're in like this weird, the kind of obviously kind of middle of the pandemic yeah. phase where a lot of games are being delayed Mm-hmm. Well, what's happening uh, in particular is like a lot of games have been announced very early, and I think that's more to kind of get people on board in terms of developers. So, like, I think there was like a Witcher announcement for a Witcher Four, mm. um, and I think it will be a Witcher Four. It'll just be a Witcher sequel. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. But the reason why they announce games like that super early is because they want development talent. Because obviously, people are leaving in their droves, or that you know, from from publishers in general, and they're you know, they or they prefer to work from home, or you know, obviously the pandemic has shifted a lot of things around. So it's possible that Shenmue 4 might get announced, but it's more like a job advert that it's like, okay, we're going to advertise to the development community that we're making this game, come work with us. That is also a possibility. Now I've kind of thought about like, you know, I'd prefer if they announce it and it comes out fairly soon afterwards, it yeah. could be the other way around. It could be not like a Kickstarter where they announce it, but like, like a Kickstarter in that they announce it early 
takes a few years, but they could announce it and not show much because it's more like a job advert. Um, smarter people than me, I think I'm trying to think, uh, you know, industry kind of websites have tweeted this this observation with, um, you know, uh, with game studios. So it might not be the case here. Like, you know, it might be that, you know, they actually are or like close to the end of development and it could release fairly soon. That is also a possibility. They might re- announce Shenmue 4, but it might be a little way off because the industry has changed in the last few years. So, yeah. you know, it'd make the wait a little bit more unbearable. But if we knew a Shenmue 4 was coming either way, then I think it'd probably be worth it. Yeah, it would. And um, one way or the other, as long as it's greenlit, I'm happy. Yeah, I'll exactly. wait. So, I'll happily wait. And speaking of waits, a bit of a left field wait. We'll sort of segue into this. Uh, Shenmue the animation. Yes. Um, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. There was some, literally yeah. nowhere. There were some rumors on Twitter. Then September 2020 hits. Here we are, we're making Shenmue the animation. When that first got announced, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, I just, I just, I had no expectations. Uh, you, you said there were like teasers. What were the teasers? I, I think I might have missed this actually. So there, I can't remember the name of the guy who was tweeting. There was a well-known leaker on Twitter was saying, oh, to Shenmue fans, if you care about the story, stick around. Um, there's going to be an announcement very soon. And we're all going... It can't be Shenmue before it's too soon, if that makes sense. We were mm. we and having interviewed Cedric Biscay at the time, right? We knew at that point, sort of earlier that year, they'd already pitched to publishers, so there was no way really that was going to be in a state to be announced. Mm. So we we're like, what the hell's this? And then that that's where it all sort of surfaced from from there, and excitement built, and then at Crunchyroll Expo. There you go, Shenmue the animation. Here you are. Yeah, I yeah I I had I had no idea that it was happening. I was just yeah really, really excited. Yeah, as I said earlier, like Shenmue is this thing where it's like it's both simultaneously very well known but also quite a niche series. So the fact that an anime was made for it still blows me away. I still um, can't quite believe it happened. Um, yeah, I was just really pleasantly surprised. And in many ways, it kind of makes like it is a good fit for an anime. Like it's this epic story. There's like action sequences. It's funny. There's like interesting characters. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think when you like drill it down to that, like those bullet points, it's like, actually this, this really works with an anime. But yeah, when it was first announced, I just still couldn't quite believe what's happening. Um, I'm just happy. I was surprised it was announced and then released so soon. I was expecting it later this year. Um, you know, that was my surprise. I was doing, I was doing like a partly, in, a partly kind of inspired by the, the Shemu anime news, but I was kind of itching to replay it anyway. I was going to do a few YouTube videos for my channel. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm going to get this started around Christmas time and it's going to be ready for like summer or something when this anime mm-hmm. rolls out. And then we announced very shortly afterwards, it would be like a month or so away. I was like, cool. Okay. Right. I'm speeding this along. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think anyone announced, anyone expected it to come that quickly either. So um, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise really. Yeah. It, well, I mean, they did the trailer in October, 2021. That was New York Comic Con. Hmm. It looked really good. Um, that was the audition tape for the for, for the girl who played uh, Natalie Rao, who played Shen Fire in the end. That was her audition doing the prophecy. Wow! They stuck that on the on the trailer, which um, I thought was really funny. And then January, it was quite. I just remember it being quiet. The whole you know it was fairly quiet. We think about the anime's coming this year. We don't know when. Hmm. Boom is a trailer. Boom is your release date. It's in four weeks. What? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, very expected um, in, a, in a in a good way. Um, I have to come clean, by the way. I haven't actually finished every episode of the anime. 
No. <laughs> but the, the, there's a good reason. Basically, I've I've watched till the end of the first sit first game, which is like yeah. five or so episodes. As because I was do because I'd re- recently been replaying Show Me One, and I knew it quite well. And as I was watching the anime as it was coming out, I realized like how good a job they did in terms of marrying up a lot of the scenes. Like the attention to detail is staggering in terms of like the the, the smaller characters that are kind of in the background, um, the way they've kind of introduced new ca- like characters in the four in clever ways. Um, like some of the sequences are like directly from the game. Like I think there's the one with the heartbeats bar where pretty much all of that is yeah. the same. Even the investigation afterwards where he goes to the motorcycle shop. And he goes to the jacket shop, and he goes to the tattoo parlor. Yeah, exactly yeah. how it's in the game. The phone call with the uh, password for getting to the the Chen uh, warehouse. I'm pretty sure it's word for word from the game. Things like this. It's just like I can't believe. Like it was really was. It felt like a real passion project that they really knew this this series. They knew these games well. So what I want to do is wait until I've played Shenmue Two, and have that quite fresh in my mind. So then when I watch mm-hmm. the anime. I kind of can appreciate it because I think I, I definitely if I'd if I'd gone in cold and I watched the anime without playing Shenmue before, I don't think I would have appreciated it as well. Um, you know, it, also also for the differences as well because I think the di- there are some differences. I think it probably is quite short um, for that game. Like I feel like it could have maybe been an entire series for for the first game, but I think what steps they took to kind of make the story fit that episode length worked i think they, they made yeah. some good choices there so even if they take some liberties with um shenmue 2 story um it'd be interesting to know more in my head how the game works out step by step beat by beat so when i watch it i can appreciate that more if that makes sense so yeah i hold my hands up i haven't finished the anime yet but uh it's for a good reason you know you're in for a treat with Shenmue 2, I think. I won't I won't say anything else than that, but in terms of how it fleshes out characters and things, very much like it does in the Shenmue 1 element, mm. um, those secondary characters that are in, in the games, I think the attention that they get, is, it, it adds to the anime and how good it is. And like you say, the attention to detail, I mean, you're talking about you know, the hunt from the jacket shop to the bike shop, etc. the tattoo parlor. Mm. The move that Landy uses in the opening sequence is 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 frame for frame. It's the mm. same move that he kills a wow with. But now, they don't need to do that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, but, but they, they, have, they have done that. And that's, that's the most incredible thing, isn't it? It's like there's little details all throughout where, you know... Um, you know, is it Anoki, one of kind of the the, the bully? Um, yeah. It's like he's in it. Like you could have had just a generic character there instead. Um, the scene where he's sneaking into, Rio's sneaking into the warehouse district and he bonks his head. Yeah. Catches the flashlight. Exactly the same. It's, yeah, it's just so many little details where it's just like, you know, you recognize it. But it doesn't necessarily get in the way of the story. Or at least I don't think it does. I'd like to, I haven't spoke to anyone who hasn't, and maybe you you have. Have you spoken to anyone who has only seen the anime and haven't played the games? And how does it hold up as like an anime away I've from the, the games spoken themselves? to sort of the odd person within anime Twitter groups and communities, and largely they quite enjoy it. Okay, that's good. And they yeah. they find they found the pacing's okay. Um, some bits are a bit quicker than others. I mean, mm. it's thirteen episodes, and you're cramming cramming a lot into thirteen. What are twenty? five minute episodes aren't they? they're not very long when you think about it yeah yeah they, um, do, they do go quite quickly yeah and and generally review quite well in in wider media circles so i think they they hit the nail on the head i think they did 
more than enough for Shenmue fans in terms of the attention to detail, the scenes being almost shot for shot, mm. but then broadening broadening that appeal out to new people and hopefully engaging people in Shenmue, because at the end of the day, that's what they want to do with it, to yes. hopefully allow people to either access the games or maybe a season two of the anime if, if it does come. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the hope, isn't it? It's just you know a way for more people to enjoy Shenmue or as a gateway into playing Shenmue um you know I wonder if like they could have in a dream scenario it would have been like The Last of Us at the minute where it's got like this HBO show coming up and Mm. they've got uh the remake of the first game you know maybe it could have been like a remake of the Shenmue games and that would have been the perfect tie-in the fact that it exists though is yeah still amazing um and it hopefully bodes well that you know um the fact they have done it you know means that they are looking ahead long-term or even medium-term to be like, Shenmue isn't going away, that we want to do more things for this franchise. I'd like to think they wouldn't have just plucked Shenmue out from the the wide pool of games and franchises that are out there. You know, there must be a reason for that, or at least I'd like to hope so. Or as I say, maybe it was just like, this is a good candidate for an anime and that also works. Um, And I think it does work as an anime. Like I haven't watched many anime shows, but it does seem to kind of like... You know, like I love the intro sequence. Love that the thoughtless, uh, yeah. Kind of, you know, pointed out in a very joking way. Um, you know, and I think the the character interactions are, are quite funny. And yeah, they 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 work on that level as well as like kind of what you know from the games. So yeah, I think it's like yeah, considering it's you know it, considering like we didn't expect this to happen. The fact that it's also come out really good. I think we're quite lucky, really, that you know it's come out as well as it has. We have, and actually, it doesn't happen without Shenmue Three, for all its faults and the way it, you know, the way it came out and the Kickstarter project and everything. None of this ha- happens if Shenmue Three doesn't happen. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I believe I've yet to watch your interview with the the showrunner or the EP of the of the anime, it's but I believe the, like they had a three year year three year lead time which marries up more or less with the Shenmue 3 release or like the, yeah. the production of that coming, coming to a close. So yeah, those things sound like they are interlinked in some way. Yeah, and and it's performed well. I mean, I won't spoil the interview for people who haven't seen it yet, but it, they, they're pleased with the performance. Certainly the people who made it were, were very happy with how it's come out and the ratings and various other bits. So mm. fingers crossed it's done what it needs to. Absolutely, I, yeah. I, I won't won't spoil that interview. But what I do want to talk about is you, you sort of touched on this a little bit. Is your YouTube series hmm. looking at obscure Shenmue bits and pieces, like cutscenes, like Nozomi's confession for one of them, uh, the cutscene with uh, Rio at home and going into the bar. What sort of made you revisit Shenmue? Because obviously you've done the FAQ for Shenmue two before a long time ago. Admittedly, what's made you revisit it and go into a YouTube video series? And why now? Uh, I think, yeah, I think as a touch one with Shenmue in particular, I think the anime news helps with that and like kind of spark that interest or like that as a project to come along. Um, I think with the YouTube stuff, so my day job is writing, um, or most of my day job is writing guides, like written guides. And I think yeah. a few years ago, I wanted to do more like uh, video guides. Mm-hmm. as a different like kind of skill set like it's they're obviously quite similar in how you would approach them but they're also you know it just uh it's just, it's a stretch of a different muscle i guess you know it's different to writing and editing on a page and working through yeah. that structure as it is to a video uh, and the first one of that i did was for final fantasy 7 again as i said like that's a game that i loved and i thought that would be 
interesting challenge. I think what I did with that is I bit off more than I could chew. So I basically wanted to do the entire game and do guides for pretty much everything, like dungeon explainers and mm-hmm. item locations and all sorts. Like I think it ended up being a hundred videos, and I almost didn't wow. finish that project if it wasn't for like the pandemic. You know, I just like some people i was in a very fortunate position where i had a bit more free time in my hands during the pandemic and it's like you know what i've started doing this video project let's see if i can finish it um and i managed to bring it over the line and there's a lot of lessons i learned um but because i the benefit of doing that um in that way in the sense that i recorded everything and i planned it out as best i could to try and work out all these different videos was that i had a missables video like i had enough footage to be like okay if I could make a video where, because I have planned out this way, where I could basically condense all the bits that were like the the things that you could easily miss, whether it was like summons or materia or you know cutscenes, whatever it might be, trophies. I had all that footage. It took ages to edit, but I could put it together, and it was quite a useful video because there are guides for ninety seven that are missable guides, yeah, but none yeah. that are video form, as far as I could tell, or like very few. Well, like not in the way that I would like to kind of have done it, which is kind of, you know, as as condensed as possible and focused as possible. And it required some editorialization, if that's a word, where it's like, <laughs> these are the things that I thought were useful missables rather than every missable. I think there are guides out there that are far more in-depth than mine, at least with Final Fantasy that go into that detail. And uh, if people want those, then, you know, that they're out there. But for me, I wanted to kind of like editorialize it a bit and focus on the things I found interesting. Hopefully the community did. But yeah, it was a good earning experience in the sense that of like this big project. And then when I was thinking of, I've done other games since, but Shenmue was a good candidate for that. As we talked, talked about, there are loads of things you could miss that you could easily kind of, you know, if you don't talk to the right person at the right time, if you speed on the game, you know, um, you know, you could miss certain things. Uh, there are loads of moves um, that you could miss, items like capsule toys. All sorts of things. I thought, you know, as a format, like doing a missables video would be really good for Shenmue. So that was kind of the center point of this project. Um, so I haven't, and I don't think I will do it as in-depth as 97 in the sense that I'm not going to do 100 videos because yeah, it was too many. And like looking at the views, not that I'm necessarily views driven, but I think with guides, what, you know, what views are good for compared to other things like news um, features, at least to a certain degree. Is that if something's getting good views, you know, it's helping more people. And that's quite a nice thing to know. It's like, this has been useful, yeah. right? So I know Missables for Final Seven was good and had loads of, that had more views than average and that was useful. And so I wanted that for Shenmue. Um, and again, there are like, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend that this, I'm, I'm necessarily revealing new things. But for me, there was a lot of interesting new observations that I didn't know about. And there's lots of things that are probably a little bit like are kind of, in forums rather than kind of in like yeah. videos that are obvious yeah, yeah. on the front page of YouTube, or at least on a front page of research or even in FAQs. Like I went through my old FAQ as kind of the starting point because after Shenmue 2, I did Shenmue 1 as an FAQ. Uh, but even that was kind of light on some details or lighter than I would hope. Um, I remember, is it Double Blow? There's a move, the move Double Blow that you can learn in the park from Lucenia mm-hmm. in the yeah. first disc. Um, like in my FAQ, it just said on disc one. And that's true, <laughs> but it's vague. Like there actually mm. are two windows that that can happen. And they're two weird windows. I think you need to speak to Tom and it's up until you go to the barber and then it is, I don't remember this correctly. I think it's before you go to the Heartbeats bar. I mean, as you're looking for the sailors, two really weird windows, but it's things like that. It's like, you know, my guide included, there's, there's, there's advice out there that is a bit too vague. 
Yeah. Um, and that part of that is probably because of just like it was a long time ago or whatever it might be. But it's like, I, I, I remember at least reading my FAQ and being like, I need to affirm this up. So I just spent like, you know, ages trying to verify as much as I can. And it was just an excuse to kind of really dig into this game and try and work out how things work. Um, and there were things like you mentioned, um, like the confession, Nozomi's confession and Nozomi's tears. The way they worked was kind of different to how I expected. Like there were in some ways the requirements easier and more generous um you know there's some speculation from people saying like you need to have done it as soon as you get the chinese letter or as soon as you hear the phone ring you have to answer it and that's it which isn't the case in my experience you could come back the next day in the next day and the next day until you got the sword handguard so that was quite an interesting thing to learn um the fact that nozomi's i'm trying to get the order right now i think it's nozomi's tears is the second one like it's only based on date. It's not based on like yeah. talking to anyone else. Things like that. It's just like, you know, I think what, what the magic of Shemu is, is like people almost add conditions to events. And that's kind of like, because they, they are drawn into, like, because I, when I discovered like, you don't need to talk to Eerie, when I first read that, I was like, that makes sense because Eerie does mention that you should go to the park. But I ended up discovering you don't need that at all. So the fact that, you know, people are, are, are kind of taking that at face value, I think is a good thing because it shows that the, it's the game has kind of built this kind of um you know these these side events that could be realistic and and, and real uh and actual conditions so yeah i just found it fascinating i found it a, a really good excuse to drill, drill down into this game that i loved and that is got all these kind of missable scenes that are really interesting um and easily missed and i, I just found like we talked about like it rewards people who are inquisitive and like to kind of take the time with things. And I think it's it's weird that the the Ichiro and the Oki scene and also Nozomi's confession, if that's the first one, um, like they are very missable because in that point in the game, you go to the harbor. And so you don't yeah. go home at, after 7 p.m. I find that fascinating from a design perspective because it's almost like, the especially when you know the game and how to play it quite directly, you're going to miss that every time. Um, but what it maybe suggests is that if you take your time for this game, you will come across more events. Um, you know, I, don't, I just found that really interesting. Also, like on a kind of like more um, uh, on a level of like, okay, why does this thing play out at a certain time? Like there are certain cutscenes that only play out, for example, um, like I think the Naoki scene doesn't play out until you're on disc two. And it's like, well, yeah. I imagine that's because disc two had the data. That's why you can't see it on disc one and and so on. So yeah, just trying to kind of, there's multiple like things that at least for me, I found really fascinating about how this game was designed uh, and also the practical steps of like, okay, maybe this was for this reason because the data was on this disc. So yeah, I just found it really interesting. And I hope that at the end of it, um, I tried to kind of digest that and break it down into a, a video or a series of videos that people can look at and be like, okay, I know how to get this now. This is this cutscene. you know, I've maybe... I've heard about or seen on YouTube, but I don't quite understand how it works. And now I can, or maybe I just know how it works and that's good enough for me, you know, and maybe I just don't need to go through those steps anymore. So I'd like to think that hopefully it is helpful for some people. Um, even if it's like, these are things that are, again, as I say, they are, they are known, they are out there. I'm not pretending to kind of discover things that other people haven't discovered. I've just hopefully surfaced it in a way that is kind of a little bit more digestible. Um, and I think video in particular is really good for that because you can see it, you know, you can, I like I like writing in uh, writing in words. Of course, you do, but I like that <laughs> written walkthroughs are quite easily digestible. I like that you can just look at it on a phone. But I also yeah. really like video because video allows you to see the steps 
and likely to clearly see it. And I think with Shenmue, that's quite an important difference. Um, so yeah, I was quite uh, yeah quite glad I embarked on the project. I think like Final Fantasy VII in a way, I bit off more than I could chew. It was a lot of double checking, a lot of like, did I actually talk to Eerie on this playthrough? I don't think I did. Better start another save, that sort of thing. It was like I want to make sure this is as as you know as as clear and as 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 much as I could confirm it from my experience. Um, so yeah, it was actually more work than I expected, but it was very, very satisfying and just, as I say, a good excuse to go back into a game that I, I really loved, um, and kind of try and understand it a little bit better from behind the scenes. Superb. And how many more videos have you got in that series to work on? In theory, I could like, as I say, I've got the whole game captured. There's a lot of videos I could do. I think cause it's, cause it's been like the missables video and the new key one after that, I think was a lot. Like I'm not, the video is something I'm not necessarily that experienced in. I do enjoy it, but it just takes a long time for me to work with video compared to yeah. like written guides, which I am well-versed in. And then I can kind of, you know, turn those around fairly quickly. And obviously, because it's all in my spare time, it's all like, you know, I have to kind of find the time to do it. So I don't know. There's a couple of videos I want to do. Um, the Inoki stuff, for example, the third cut scene is something that many people don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that I might do like a series on that. And that's that'll be by comparison, a lot more straightforward. And actually that first, again, I'll talk about kind of vague requirements. When I did the playthroughs um, for the Inoki stuff, uh, the Inoki, the first cutscene I missed because I think the cutoff is the Heartbeats bar. And it's usually you have to like walk towards, like down the high street towards the tomato convenience store. And if you run, sometimes it doesn't work. And even regardless of that, if you walk, it doesn't work. It's very... What I've learned is like some cutscenes are quite temperamental. That and the phone were just like, I don't understand how this works. So I'm just going <laughs> to have to say, like, just keep trying it until it works. It's, you know, um, I found that, yeah, very interesting. Um, so I'd like to do something on that just to clarify that a little bit more because that third cutscene was something I actually hadn't personally seen until reasonably recently. So I think people would be interested in that. There's maybe one or two others. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I think what I might do is probably have a bit of a break and then do like some more kind of. Uh, no not known videos but like less kind of like detailed but more like here is story stuff that most people would know but it's just a guide just because i'd like to you know just just make get some practice in some video i'd like to kind of you know i like the thing about video is that you kind of almost relive the game again in a little way so like yeah. with final fantasy 7 i was kind of like rediscovering i was going back through old dungeons and stuff and i found that quite fun quite a relaxing thing to do so maybe once i've kind of had a little break from shemu as a project i kind of come back and do a few more videos so I probably won't do loads in this series. I probably will, hopefully this year, we'll see, obviously. Um, I'll do Shenmue 2. Because Shenmue 2, as we just, as you discussed earlier, there's loads of like weird cutscenes and requirements. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's just, I am now itching to play Shenmue 2. Like despite the amount of work this video took or these <laughs> videos took, I want to play more Shenmue. And Shenmue 2 is a game I am less familiar with. I think, you know, it's a game I really like but I don't know it as well as the first game yeah. and I want that mm -hmm. to change. I want to kind of go back to it and I want to see the anime as we talked about as well. So hopefully by the end of the year, I'm kind of at a point where it's like, you know what, I'm ready to go back in, play lots of Shinbu 2, play it quite intensely, do loads of research. Um, so hopefully uh, that won't be for too long. Brilliant. And the videos are great. If, I'll put the links in our, in the um, in description of the YouTube um, video for everybody who hasn't seen them yet. Um, they are a, great little guide and i think very current i think with the remasters the anime it's the ideal time and as, as you sort of touched on a lot of this stuff's written down in an obscure 
probably on our forum somewhere, um, obscure forums where you're going to miss it. You're not going to find this sort of stuff. So a video guide that's quick, easy to access, I think it's ideal. Oh, thank you. It's, yeah, it's very kind of you to say um, that, yeah, that, that yeah, the videos are, are, are good and, and hopefully useful. Yeah, I think you're right. I actually referred to a Serenbu Dojo forum post for, uh, I think it was something I just couldn't, like it would have taken too long. And mm-hmm. it was the confession tears. Sorry, I, that was a problem. It was like when I was editing, it's like, which one comes first? I need to get this right. And hopefully I have got it right. But I think it's tears a second. And yeah, it's the fact that it can happen on any time after a certain date. But obviously, as you're playing the story, you could get to that date. So you could, mm-hmm. could you play it on this one? I don't know. I think you can. And someone on the forum seemingly has or referred to them. So that was very useful. But you're right. It's like people discussing it in forum threads and in FAQs and things like that, rather than in a, in a place that is hopefully easily serviceable. And YouTube at the minute is kind of where guides certainly seem to have kind of, you know, um, be the most popular, or at least one of the most popular destinations, I think. What's been industry interesting about writing about guides and covering guides for, I don't know, 15, 20 years now is like it has shifted as partly as the industry shifted, but as media has shifted. So it was FAQs, it was forums and wikis, but now it's more, you know, certainly more on YouTube. Obviously, websites like Eurogamer, who I work for, do a lot of guides, um, you know, that sort of thing. Also, like Steam, like there's obviously Steam guides for various games yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it keeps shifting, and that's good, I think. I think it means help is available in different ways and different formats um and yeah i just i i, I just thought it hopefully might be useful to kind of do a video on 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 Shemu in this way awesome brilliant thank you for that and my final questions i've been grilling you for well over an hour now um <laughs> i do this to everybody and thank you for your time matt it's been an absolute pleasure to get you on the show oh no i've, I've really enjoyed it so thank you for having me absolute pleasure um Final thing, final question. Is there a message you want to give to the Shenmue community? Uh, I'd say probably don't give up hope for a fourth game. I have hope there will be a fourth game. Um, I don't know if it's controversial to say, but it's like don't don't settle for like a comic or like an anime. I think that those would be certainly fine ways to tell the rest of the story, but I don't think it'd be fully right for it to not be a game. So I want, you know, I think people should have faith, even if it takes another 15, 20 years. You know, I'd like to. I'd like to play a show move four. That is my. That is my hope, and I hope you know people are also patient. You know, we'll keep replaying the the first three show games. We'll keep rewatching the anime until we until we have a fourth game. So yeah, I'll just say have hope, have faith that 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 game is coming. Brilliant, Matt. Thank you, and I, I agree. With you. I think it can come, and we're a patient bunch. If anything, we're we're patient. Twenty years. And, yeah, and if anything, we've been spoiled. We've had a new game and an anime in just a handful of years. You know, this is this, these, these are the good times. So let's yeah. let's ride this wave, embrace it because you know, we had a dry patch for so long. Let's embrace it while we've got it and hammer home that advantage and keep making that noise. So <laughs> Matt, all the raise safe for me is thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I've really really enjoyed it. And to everybody who's been watching, listening, wherever you may be, uh, as always, guys, thank you for tuning in. Um, always appreciate your engagement with the content. Don't forget to give us a like, share, subscribe over on the, all the social media channels. And I will be back with another interview in the coming months. Take care, everyone. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.